Pastor Don asked me to preach this morning. He had an elective procedure on Friday to eliminate the dependence of blood, his dependence on blood thinners. So that, that went well. Uh, he's home resting. The song we just sang is one that I had heard and sung before I knew it. What I mean by that is when we sang the song, we've sung it in creative, I've heard it other places. I always thought it was a Keith and Christian Getty song. And it wasn't until, ironically, I went to the Keith and Kristen Getty's Nashville Sing Conference a couple weeks ago that I heard this song sung by the group that wrote it. They're a group out of Sydney, Australia, a church music group, and they have written a lot of songs. And since that conference, I have not been able to stop listening and singing along with them. I asked Corb if we could sing Christ is Mine Forevermore in conjunction with the time that we've set apart for the sermon this morning. And we just sang the first verse, but in a minute we're going to sing the second verse and then we'll sing the third verse. And it goes so well with the book that I want us to look at this morning. So I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter. And I want to share this book with you this morning in three sections. The first section will be chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2 and verse 3. Because I want us to experience something this morning that was common in the early church, but is very uncommon in our churches today. When the early church received this letter from Peter, the ministry assistants didn't go into the workroom and make copies on the copy machine to distribute to everyone. No, they would have received it orally. That means they would have listened to it. And then maybe a couple people would have made copies, handwritten copies, before it was passed on to the next church. So this morning, I'm going to summarize section by section and then read it for you. And when I do that, I'm going to ask you to do something that your pastors probably have never asked you to do before, maybe will never ask you to do again, and that is close your Bibles, turn off your screens, and just listen to the Word of God, and let it wash over you in a fresh way like it would have done for those first century believers. Now, first, Peter is really a theology of suffering. Last week, Pastor Don explained that pastors like to use big words like theology because we learned them in seminary, and so we've got to learn, you've got to use them someplace. But theology is really a, a very easy word to understand. It's a study of God. And so when we say a theology of suffering, we're really talking about what the Bible says about suffering, who God is, and what is the state of mankind. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 2 and verse 3 can be summarized in two words, doxological hope. And it can be broken down into four sections, verses one through five. If you just look at it as, as I'm speaking this morning, just look at verses one through five. This is the salvation that God has prepared for us. And then verses six through nine, this is our salvation or our faith proven and purified. Verses 10 through 12 is the salvation that was prophesied by all those Old Testament prophets over and over and over again until Christ came to fulfill it. And then 
chapter 1, verse 13, through chapter 2 and verse 3, is the purpose of our salvation. What is it to look like in our daily lives? So for the sake of time, I want to zoom in on the one major theme woven throughout 1 Peter, and that's the theme of trials or suffering. And in chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, Peter explains that one major reason Christians experience trials in this life is to prove and purify our faith. And he makes three points, three major points that interlock with one another. The first is this. It is ours now to endure and to experience the joy later. Didn't the author of Hebrews tell us this in Hebrews chapter 12 where it says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Secondly, enduring trials is necessary for a while. And finally, the joy that will come later is the praise, glory, and honor we will receive when Jesus is revealed to the whole world. You might say, well, what kind of glory am I going to have? Well, it is a reflection of the glory of Jesus. And that's why your faith needs to be purified so you can more accurately reflect his glory on that day. So with that in mind, I invite you now to close your Bibles, turn off your screens, let the truth of this wash over you, bring hope and healing to your souls. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 2 and verse 3. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the lands of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, the province of Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed Jesus Christ and are cleansed by his blood. May you have more and more of God's special favor and wonderful peace. All honor to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for it is by his boundless mercy that God has given us the privilege of being born again. Now we live with a wonderful expectation because Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. For God has reserved a priceless inheritance for his children. It's kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And God, in his mighty power, will protect you until you receive the salvation because you are trusting him. It will be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though it is necessary for you to endure many trials for a while. These trials are only to test your faith, to show that it is strong and pure. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, and your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. So if your faith remains strong after being tried by fiery trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him, even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him, you trust him. And even now, you're filled with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Your reward for trusting him 
will be the salvation of your souls. This salvation was something the prophets wanted to know more about. They prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you, even though they had many questions as to what it all could mean. They wondered what the spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They wondered when and to whom all this would happen. They were told that these things would not happen during their lifetime, but many years later during yours. And now this good news has been announced by those who preach to you in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It's all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. So, think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the special blessings that will come to you at the return of Jesus Christ. Obey God because you are his children. Don't slip back into your old ways of doing evil. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you to be his children is holy. For he himself has said, you must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites when he judges. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time as foreigners here on earth. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. He paid for you with the precious lifeblood of Christ, the sinless spotless lamb of God. God chose him for this purpose long before the world began. But now in these final days, he has been sent to the world for all to see. And he did this for you. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God. And because God raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory, your faith and hope can be placed confidently in God. Now you can have sincere love for each other as brothers and sisters because you are cleansed from your sins when you accepted the truth of the good news. So see to it that you really do love each other intensely with all your hearts for you have been born again. Your new life did not come from your earthly parents because the life they gave you will end in death. But this new life will last forever. As the prophet says, People are like grass that dies away. Their beauty fades as quickly as the beauty of wildflowers. The grass withers and the flowers fall away. But the word of the Lord will last forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. So get rid of all malicious behavior and deceit. Don't just pretend to be good. Be done with hypocrisy and jealousy and backstabbing. You must crave pure spiritual milk so that you can grow into the fullness of your salvation. Cry out for this nourishment as a baby cries for milk, now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. We don't always understand the darkness that we have to go through. We don't always see any earthly good through the valley we must travel. But 
And don't you love those strong conjunctions you learned in elementary school English grammar class? But mine is peace that flows from heaven and the strength in times of need. I know my pain will not be wasted. Christ completes his work in me. That is the proving and purifying work of our trials. Open your Bibles if you would again. If you kept your finger there. We're going to look now at 1 Peter chapter 2. Pick up where we left off in verse 4. And go through chapter 3 and verse 12. And this section here I think is described by our life in Christ. And how that actually sometimes brings about trials in our life. You see, the first section we looked at in verse 6, these trials are necessary, many trials for a while. That word many in the old King James Version, manifold, uh, a variety of trials. But really the whole scope and sequence of 1 Peter is about trials because you're a Christian. And he's going to get into that here in this section. So verse four, verses 4 through 10 our identity in Christ is introduced and what a strong identity it is. And then in chapter 2, 11 through 3, 12, these are the identity implications. How does it flesh itself out in relation to authority, especially governmental authority or occupation? He talks about slaves and their, their masters. Marriage, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And then even in the church, there will be times of trials in the church, that's in chapter three, verses eight through 12. I just wanna highlight a couple points Peter makes related to these identity implications. And the first is this, righteous living will result in persecution and praise many times from the same people. In other words, the people around you that might condemn you for what you believe should still like you as a person, still want to be around you. Number two, suffering is part of God's calling on our lives. It's how he has ordained we live our lives as Christians. And number three, when suffering, model Christ. So let's look at this passage. Once again, I invite you to close your Bibles, turn off your screens. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 3, 12. Come to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by the people, but he is precious to God who chose him. And now God is building you as living stones into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are God's holy priests, who offer the spiritual sacrifices that please him because of Jesus Christ. As the scriptures express it, I'm placing a stone in Jerusalem, a chosen cornerstone, and anyone who believes in him will never be disappointed. Yes, he is very precious to you who believe, but for those who reject him, he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that will make them fall, the stone that was rejected by the builders has now become the cornerstone. They stumble 
because they do not listen to God's word or obey it. And so they meet the faith that has been planned for them. But you are not like that. For you are a chosen people. You are a kingdom of priests. His holy nation. This is so you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you did not receive mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Dear brothers and sisters, you are foreigners and aliens here, so I warn you to fight against your sinful nature. Be careful how you live among your unbelieving neighbors. Even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will believe and give honor to God when he comes to judge the world. For the Lord's sake, accept all authority. The king is head of state and the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish all who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It's God's will that your good lives should silence those who make foolish accusations against you. You are not slaves. You are free. But your freedom is not an excuse to do whatever you want. You are free to live as God's slaves. Show respect for everyone. Love your Christian brothers and sisters. Fear God. Show respect for the king. You who are slaves must accept the authority of your masters. Do whatever they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are harsh. For God is pleased with you when for the sake of your conscience you patiently endure unfair treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong, but if you suffer for doing what is right, God is pleased with you. This suffering is all part of what God has called you to. Christ, who suffered for you, is your example. Follow in his steps. He never sinned, and he never deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted. When he suffered, he did not threaten to get even. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried away our sins in his own body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin. By his wounds, you have been healed. Once you were wandering like lost sheep, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands, even those who refuse to accept the good news. Your godly lives will speak to them better than any words. They will be won over by your pure, godly behavior. Don't be concerned about the outward appearance that depends on fancy jewelry, expensive hairstyles, or beautiful clothes. You should be known for the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. That's the way the women of old made themselves beautiful. They trusted God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham when she called him her master. You do right 
and are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. If you don't treat her as you should, your prayers will not be heard. Finally, all of you should be of one mind, full of sympathy toward each other, loving one another with tender hearts and humble minds. Don't retaliate when people say unkind things about you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God wants you to do, and he will bless you for it. For the scriptures say, if you want a happy life and good days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and keep your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Work hard at living in peace with others. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to the prayers, to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Mine are days here as a stranger, pilgrim on a narrow way. One with Christ, I will encounter harm and hatred for his name. It's what Peter has been teaching and will continue to do so as we look at this next and final section. And you open your Bibles again. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through chapter 5 and verse 14. Just briefly to summarize this, you can look over these verses as I'm talking for the next minute or so. I think these verses can be summarized in, in two words, purposeful suffering. Chapter 3, verses 13 through 22, is conversation creating suffering. When you suffer and other people see that and they see a difference in how you suffer, they're going to ask you why. So we need to be prepared to give them a gentle and respectful response. Chapter 4 is Christ-like suffering. We saw that at the end of chapter 2. We see it again here in chapter 4. When we suffer, we act like Christ. We partner with Christ. We receive the glory of Christ. And then in the last chapter, verses 1 through 14 of chapter 5, is church life suffering. So, once again, I want to focus on three takeaways from this section as they relate to Christ-like suffering. And the first is this, found in chapter 4, 12 through 14. When suffering, don't be surprised. Isn't that our normal response? Why, why is this happening to me? Why now? Why this? No, Peter says, don't be surprised. Instead, be glad because you are becoming Christ's partner. Number two, when suffering, recognize that it's God's will and keep doing what is right while trusting God. And number three, when suffering, keep in mind, remember, it's only for a little while. And afterwards will come the restoration, the support, the strength that we so often don't feel in the midst of our suffering. So once again, please close your Bibles, turn off your screens, listen to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 5, 14.
Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't be afraid and don't worry. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if you are asked about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But you must do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then, if, then even if people speak evil against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. Could you give me a water, Doug? Thank you. Christ also suffered when he died for our sins once for all. He never sinned, thank you, but he died for sinners that he might bring us safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. <clears throat> so he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Those who disobeyed God when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood, and this is a picture of baptism, which now saves you by the power of Jesus Christ's resurrection. Baptism is not a removal of dirt from the body. It's an appeal to God from a clean conscience. Now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God, and all the angels and authorities are bowing down before him. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you are willing to suffer for Christ, you have decided to stop sinning. And you won't spend the rest of your life chasing after the evil desires you once had. But you will be anxious to do the will of God. You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. Their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are very surprised when you no longer join them in the wicked things they do and they say evil things about you. But just remember that they will have to face God who will judge everyone, both the living and the dead. That is why the good news was preached even to those who have died. So that although their bodies were punished with death, they could still live in the spirit as God does. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers over a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given gifts to each of you from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Manage them well so that God's generosity can flow through you. Are you called to be a speaker? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Are you called to help others? Do it with all the strength and energy God supplies. Then God will be given glory in everything through Jesus Christ. All glory and power belong to him forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as though something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad because these trials will make you partners with Christ in his suffering. And afterward, 
You will have the wonderful joy of sharing his glory when it is displayed to all the world. Be happy if you are insulted for being a Christian. For then the glorious spirit of God will come upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. For being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his wonderful name. For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin first among God's own children. And if even we Christians must be judged, what terrible fate awaits those who have never believed God's good news? And if the righteous are barely saved, what chance will the godless and sinners have? So, if you are suffering according to God's will, keep on doing what is right and trust yourself to the God who made you, for he will never fail you. And now a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share his glory and honor when he returns. As a fellow elder, this is my appeal to you. Care for the flock of God entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. And when the head shepherd appears, your reward will be a never-ending share in his glory and honor. You younger men accept the authority of the elders and all of you serve each other in humility. For God opposes the proud but shows favor to those who are humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and in his good time, he will honor you. Give all your worries and cares to him for he cares about what happens to you. Be careful. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for some victim to devour. Take a firm stand against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of sufferings you are. In his kindness, God called you to his eternal glory by means of Jesus Christ. After you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. He will place you on a firm foundation. All power is his forever and ever. Amen. I've written this short letter to you with the help of Silas, whom I consider a faithful brother. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that the grace of God is with you no matter what happens. Your sister church here in Rome sends you greetings, as does my son Mark. Greet each other in Christian love. Peace to all who are in Christ. Love how Peter ends that letter. He gives the purpose for his letter right there at the end. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that the grace of God is with you no matter what happens. If you have one takeaway from today, let it be that verse. God is with you, no matter what happens. We have eternal glory waiting for us. Our suffering is temporary. Compared to eternity, which will last forever, our suffering is only for a little while. 
There's another song we're going to sing here in just a minute. It was sung for the first time publicly at the Sing Conference a couple weeks ago, also by City of Light. City of Light. They reached out to a guy named Tim Challies, who's an elder in a church in Toronto, Canada, and asked him to collaborate with them on writing a song. He responded by saying, I don't write lyrics, I don't sing, I don't play a musical instrument, I don't know how this is going to work, but I just wrote this book. The book is a memoir of sorts. His son collapsed, passed out, and died on the campus of Boyce College suddenly with no warning when he was out playing with his friends, his sister was there, his fiance. And Tim Challies is a blogger. We don't have many of those anymore. It means he writes stuff and puts it on the internet. And so he did what he does. That next year he journaled. And at the end of that year he took those journals and assembled them into a book. And this is that book, Seasons of Sorrow, The Pain of Loss and the Comfort of God. He sent an advanced copy of this book to City of Light. They read it, and they wrote this, this song that Sarah is going to lead us in right now. I invite you to listen along or sing along if you like.